And lo, Will Wheaton came down off the mountain bearing two tablets and said, Dig it. Love it. Live it. And it was good. Hello and welcome to this episode of Game on Girl, where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. Today we have the pleasure of interviewing Sarah the Rebel from Nerdy But Flirty and Geek and Sundry. So stay tuned, and we're glad you're listening to Game on Girl. Sarah, the Rebel Rodriguez, is the founder and editor-in-chief of Nerdy But Flirty, an all-female staffed geek and gaming website that focuses on diversity and other social issues in gaming. Right in Game on Girls uh, area here. (laughs) She's been a gamer, comic book fan, and a feisty feminist her entire life, and as a person of mixed descent, very interested in fostering diversity in the world of geekdom. Her in-real-life job is Director of Network Development at one of our favorite institutions, Geek and Sundry. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. We are delighted that you are here to join us today. Well, thanks. I'm happy to be here. Uh, So why don't we start with uh, you giving us a little bit about your gaming background um, and when you sort of started gaming and how that's impacted your life. Sure. Uh, So I've actually been gaming for as long as I can remember. Uh, I remember being very young. My granddad and I used to go to the thrift store and the flea market to Together. And one day there was a Nintendo there. Now I do know that this was at the time that Nintendos were no longer the current gen. So I believe we were in a Super Nintendo area era. And uh, I said, Granddad, this is thirty dollars. I will love you forever. And he said, Okay. And he got it for me. Um, and it had one game, Mario slash Duck Hunt. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we all know that one, or many of us do. Yes. Um, and so that was my first gaming system. From there, I went on to a Game Boy, and then eventually an N64, um, and on to PlayStation. I just skipped Sega entirely. So I've been gaming my whole life, been loving gaming my entire life. Um, used to go over to my best friend's house, and we would play her Super Nintendo and play Aladdin, which was the best mm. game ever, if you didn't know. Oh, I didn't. I don't think I played that. Oh, man. Try Aladdin for SNES. Uh, get an emulator. It still holds up as one of the best games. Huh. I'm going to have to note that as something to check out. Very cool. I always love recommendations, especially, I think, uh, retro recommendations. Yeah, there were a lot of good ones, and you don't realize it until, you know, when you're growing up, you're in your own little world. And yeah. maybe you have friends who game, maybe you don't, but it's kind of it was kind of a different thing for all of us in that mm-hmm. time. So it's only when you get older and you, you end up meeting all these other people who love retro games that you're like, what? There was a, a console that let me go online and do multiplayer? What are you talking about? <laughs> interesting discovery for me cool very cool so is that part of your your love and your sort of engagement with um from a young age with games is that part of what inspired you to launch nerdy but flirty yes so uh i was doing public relations in college and part of um what they would encourage you to do is to have a blog uh when you're in the Mm -hmm. public relations field writing communication is very important uh so most of the other folks had a public relations focused blog like tips for um up-and-coming PR professionals. And I was like, well, that's really boring because everybody else is doing that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I decided to write about what I loved, which was gaming. Nice, nice. And so Nerdy But Flirty is what came out of that. Right, it started off with huh. a blog called Sarah the Rebel because I'm creative. <laughs> um, and some I don't even know how it happened, but somehow people just joined, joined up with me and I ended up having a bunch of writers and then I decided to give it a real name. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that name is actually a funny story that came out of another website that I wrote for. Had an idea, was trying to come up with ideas for a podcast, and I was being funny, and I was like, geek but chic, nerdy but flirty. And at the <laughs> same time, everybody was like, oh, dibs. And I was like, nope, 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 that is mine. I copyright that. And <laughs> took it and I changed the name of my site to Nerdy But Flirty and from then on it's been all female staffed. That's awesome. That's really cool. It's been pretty fun. Yeah. So how old is the um, website and the blog? Oh man, let's see. So 2011 to now. What's that? Three years? Three years. Ah, that's so crazy. I'm sorry. I'd never really thought about how old it was. It's, It's been amazing the support that people have had for my little site. You know, I think of it as something I do for fun and then now to where I am with I think we have like 20 staff members. Oh my goodness. Wow. We have editors, assistant editors, social media people, writers, contributors, and we're just all females and we all love games. That's awesome. That's, that's huge. I hope that we grow like that too. It's been very surprising. Like sometimes I look at the hits on my site and I'm like, really? This famous person just tweeted about my site? Or I run into somebody and they know about Nerdy But Flirty and it's kind of insane, but amazing and fun. Now this is a um, project of of love and passion, right? (laughs) Yes. There's no money coming in from (laughs) Uh, eventually there might be, but you know, when I, it's a hobby, I have a real job, of course, as you know, working for Geek and Sundry. Right. So while that's going on, I just don't feel right making the site, you know, uh, have a bunch of ads on it and, and making money and stuff like that. It just doesn't seem doable at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah we, we understand that. We totally, totally. understand that. Because <laughs> <laughs> we have much the same uh, philosophy for Game One Girl, so. Now, if I understand, I was out on Nerdy But Flirty, and I watched your um, About Us video, and you, not too long ago, just recently moved to L.A., and, I mean, you haven't been there very long, right? Nope. Uh, it'll be three years in October. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. Now, you you got the job at Geek and Sundry pretty quickly after moving out there, right? Well, actually, what happened about a month after I moved out here, I got a job working for 47 Communications, which is actually the PR firm that did you know, Skyrim, Mass Effect, Dragon Age, Arkham um, okay. City, just almost any big game you can think of, um, they did the PR for. So that was pretty amazing. I got to work there for a while. From there, I ended up working at Maker, which has Polaris. So uh, I had channels such as Markiplier and Comic Book Girl 19 and Trade Chat under my wing. And then from there, um, in this past summer at Comic-Con, pretty much, I got the job at Geek and Sundry. Cool. Wow. So you've been there for almost Very a year. Very amount of time. What's that, half a year? Yeah. <laughs> That's a long time in um, in YouTube network land. Especially <laughs> like the veterans of the industry. Yeah, people do seem to, to, to swap around. So what does the director of network development do? What exactly is your job for Geek and Sundry? Don't try to. I'm a magician. Just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, sometimes it seems like that to those of us on the outside. So Yeah, yeah no kidding. That to me on the inside. Um <laughs> Uh, technically, my job has two basic parts. So on one hand is the analytics. So looking at, um, you know, views, subs, demographics, things like that, and trying to come up with um, new ways of doing things and changes that will improve the uh, network of channels overall. Uh, in case you weren't aware, Geek and Sundry is not just one channel. It's, uh, well, I think around 20 channels at this mm-hmm. point. Um, and then the other aspect of my job is working very closely with the Geek and Sundry vloggers and with our newest channel, um, Console to Closet, and ensuring that they're just, you know, doing all that they can to grow um, their YouTube channels. 
And so are they individually responsible for the social networking and promotion of their vlog? They are on their own social. Um, So we promote their vlogs on the vlog channel on our our main Geek and Sundry Twitter and Facebook, etc. But any videos they do on their personal channel, unless they're, you know, really so awesome, we just have to share them and we have a free slot. Okay. Uh, They do their own stuff. So what I do is provide guidance, like here's how to use Twitter, here's how to use Facebook, here's what you should be doing every time you have a video. Mm -hmm. Okay. Nice. It ends up being like hurting adorable cats, which I I love. You know, I was just about to say that exact line. (laughs) It is a lot like that. I tell the bloggers this to their face so they can't even be offended. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anytime you're wrangling people of a creative sort. Yes, exactly. You you run into that sort of uh, keeping everybody in line. Rhonda knows because she does that with me most of the time. Yes. Well, and that's the way social media is to me, it seems like anyway. There yeah. there's so many lines out there and you've got you've got to tap every one of them constantly. So you're you're not ever focused on just one thing. You're you're shifting, which mm-hmm. which is really hard because I tend to be an, a laser beam focused person. So yeah, yeah. yeah, it can be really difficult, uh, you know, to explain to somebody who's not a social media native what they should be doing to promote themselves. And YouTube is and started off as a form of social media, and it's still very important for a YouTuber to promote themselves to be very used to using social media. Um, so it can be very interesting to see the results. Of that. I love that, um, that, that, you know, we talk about in, in academic, academic terms, we talk about digital natives and digital um, immigrants. And I, and I love that you said social media, you know, native, <laughs> because, you know, that's the difference now is people who are coming up with this experience with it, and those who are sort of like stepping into it from a different place. So yeah, and you have to, you have to learn how to sort of communicate to each group independently, because mm-hmm completely different skill sets so that's all I was going to say (laughs) very true well when you were studying PR in school what were you hoping to do with that education Um, I wanted to work with video games so I actually ended up doing exactly what I wanted to do um, for a while um, which is promoting video games using social media and traditional public relations cool and then this is sort of a spin-off of that though you're still kind of doing some of that same work just in a different focus Right. You know, it's one of those things where you achieve your dream and you realize, well, this isn't quite what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Unfortunately for anyone in the business, uh, you'll know that video game public relations is why video game journalism is often uh, not what we'd all want it to be. Uh, And it's because of the relationship between um, many of these websites, where they're getting their advertisements from and their relationship and how they're getting their free games uh, with video game uh, publicists. And so it's not as much fun as it seemed like it would be. Mm. I think it is more fun to work with uh, an area in which you have a little more freedom and can be a little more true to yourself, such as YouTube. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things I feel like is so great about the work that Keek and Sundry is doing because it sort of stepped into to YouTube and with the vloggers pulled out a bunch of talent and then made like a mm-hmm. central location for it. Right. It's yeah, really we're genius. Just, we're trying to be television for geeks. You know, like the, yeah. uh, television has tried to be television for geeks and it just it keeps failing. You know, even with Sci-Fi's latest show um, with where the Jim Henson's Creature Shop, that's such an amazing idea and they make these amazing things, but they have to aim for a wider audience and so they have to throw in drama and intrigue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, us geeks, we really don't 
don't like all that. It makes us a little uncomfortable half the time. We just want to see the cool thing that we're excited about. And we want to learn how we can make it or we want to yeah. watch somebody make it. Right. Um, you know, and I think that's where YouTube can be very free because we don't have to worry that we're not making our ratings or, you know, whatever else television folks have to worry about. We can just be very authentic and make something real that excites us. I feel like that's what happened with the cosplay show, too. Um, yeah. That the title of is, is slipping my mind right now. Heroes of Cosplay. Heroes of Cosplay. I feel I because I watched it and I'm like, I felt like there was a lot of created drama, a lot of. And it. It's hard because I, I know a lot of those women on those show, and they are true, authentic cosplayers. Mm -hmm. But the editors of the show, of course, have to cut it to have drama. Yeah, yeah, and make it look like it's blown out of blown out of proportion to a degree. It was, it was I mean, I loved watching it because I loved watching the evolution of the costumes. But mm -hmm. all that, let's make everybody and let's highlight all the infighting. I was like, oh, this is not right. what I expected. King of the Nerds, another one. All mm -hmm. of the yeah. The real nerds those challenges even were real challenges that I'd be interested in seeing a nerd do but the falsification of the drama is what you know kind of uh, forces a, a group of the nerd population and geek population away whereas it is actually pulling in people who maybe would not have identified themselves as geeks and nerds to check out these shows so right you know, yeah. I leave that to television. <laughs> yeah, it sours it for the for the people who are real fans. In some ways, yeah. yeah. But again, it also has the benefit of pulling in potential new fans. That's true, too. That's you true. know, it's a give and take. Yeah, absolutely. So you said you got on board with um, Geek and Sundry when you were at Comic-Con. Were you attending Comic-Con just as a, a, a fan, or were you attending it for um, another group? I believe I was attending as a fan. Yes, at the, I was attending it as a fan at that time. Um, I had just finished up at Polaris. They'd had some shifting over there that they, that actually ended up with them turning into Polaris instead of Maker. Um, and so I ended up getting to talk to Sherry Bryant, who uh, is um, one of the partners at Geek and & Sundry. And uh, we just knew it was a match made in heaven. In fact, I actually ran into some of my uh, old coworkers at a Geek & Sundry party at Comic-Con, and they were like, whoa, this makes so much sense, it's crazy. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that must be a nice feeling <laughs> yeah they were pretty jealous it was all over their faces it was Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous so <laughs> yeah it, it's great I mean but it's, it's just like any other company but it is good to get to work for a company that um, stands for what you stand for right right so what's do you do you have a favorite fangirl moment from working at Geek and Sundry oh I have so many uh let's I'll pick two okay uh, Felicia Day walked in the other week and said, uh, I was just passing by and I thought I'd bring cupcakes. Uh -huh. and she brought us all cupcakes. Oh, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> and I had that moment where I was just like, Felicia Day is giving me a cupcake and asking me how I feel about this cupcake. Spoon ah! <laughs> <laughs> and Felicia Day are probably two of my favorite things. Um, and then my other fangirl moment was actually Ashley Birch, who does Hey Ash, What You Playing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was in to film a little extra thing for our new show, Unplugged. And as she was leaving, she goes, wait, what's that on your hoodie? And I said, it's Sailor Moon dressed as Wonder Woman and Goku dressed as Superman. And she was, she'd seen another shirt I had, which was a Mass Effect, uh, a woman's places in the Firebase shirt. <laughs> so with those two together, she just looked at me and she was like, you have the coolest clothes. <laughs> Ashley Birch just told me I have the coolest clothes. <laughs> I actually turned to our social media person and we both looked at each other and just grabbed our cheeks like, ah, my senpai. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's awesome. That's just awesome. And and excellent selections of people to fangirl over, I have to yeah. say. Yeah. I don't want to say I have good fangirl taste, but I have pretty good fangirl taste. I approve. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, were you working at Geek and Sundry when they started um, uh, trying to pick the vloggers that they were going to add? Or was that before I, you? I came on right when they were making the selection of the, of the second wave of vloggers. Okay. Uh, so one of my first meetings was me, Felicia, and Jenny Powell, who at the time was uh, was running everything with the bloggers, um, and listening to their opinions on why we should pick certain people and shouldn't pick certain people. But I didn't really get to give my own input because I was like, ah, I can't tell Felicia Day anything. Ah. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was mostly them, but I got to watch, you know, how the selection worked. Well, from the inside, then, when when you guys are looking at at uh, quality shows and quality content, what types of things uh, was Geek and Sundry looking for at the time? I mean, what type of if if you were to give advice to other vloggers, what what type of things or comments did you hear? Sure. I mean, well, the biggest one, of course, is that these shows were going to live on YouTube. So regardless of what a good idea something was, it needed to be somebody who did well on YouTube. Um, so some of the traits of folks who do well on YouTube are are being very energetic, um, being able to focus on the camera and be a presence to the camera, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, not having to, to stumble and look around the screen, uh, that sort of thing. So just plain old looking good um, when speaking to the camera. Um, having a topic that could could travel and could go for a long time. So there were some topics that were very cool and might be cool for three or four vlogs, but you know, could you sustain that uh, for for years if need be? Right. Uh, and then I think, uh, you know, being very sincere about your cause and being very passionate about whatever it was that you wanted to talk about. The number one thing on YouTube, not just Geek and Sundry, that draws people to uh, these creators is their passion. Mm-hmm. What they yeah. in, you know, that's what we watch for. Now, didn't you just come back from PAX? I did, yes. Just came back from PAX East. Was it awesome? It was. This is my second time at PAX East, but my first time um, working it. And holy moly, I mean, you get there in the morning and it's before they let in the um, the actual attendees. So it's just press and exhibitors in the morning. Mm-hmm. Already in the morning coming down that escalator, the floor was seething. It was completely full. And I was like, how are they going to fit the rest of the 80s people <laughs> into here? <laughs> It was a whirlwind. I think actually towards the end of the second day, people started asking me if they could get me anything, which was a sign of how busy I was. People were like, can I get you, can I get you some water or a banana? <laughs> Have <Yeah>. you eaten? <laughs> so you were working for Geek and Sundry at, at the con? Yes, we had a booth for our new show, Unplugged, like I mentioned, that Ashley hosts. And the idea behind the show is taking something from the video game world into real life. So what we did, so... Uh, to give an easy example, um, Jesse Cox in the first episode played League of Legends on the Microsoft Surface, and then they went LARPing. Um, so, so that sort of like tying in from the video game. So what we did at this booth is we had folks playing Skullgirls. Now, here's the funniest part about this booth to me. Um, we didn't tell Skullgirls we were doing this. This wasn't a partnership with Skullgirls. They had no idea that we were just about to send them like 10,000 new fans. <laughs> basically picked a fighting game. And then people could go into this big inflatable bouncy ring and punch each other with big old fluffy um, punchy gloves, you know, like um, like gladiator style. Like nobody could get hurt or you could get hurt, I guess, by exhausting yourself. Um, but you know, just a fun physical activity and people really seem to like it. Uh, so the idea was taking fighting 
into the real world. Mm. And, so crossing over. Right. And mm-hmm. so the biggest thing I had to do was explain this concept because it's not immediately understandable when you walk into a booth and they're like, here, play this game and then go punch each other. You're like, wait, what? Why? <laughs> Well, nobody said why, actually. Most people yeah, said, I was about to say. <laughs> but why? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that, too. I think I think some gamers with, uh, you know, rage quit tendencies would very much understand why. <laughs> yeah, no, the line for the punching ring was way longer than the line for the game. But it was very fun explaining, you know, so many people there hadn't heard of Skullgirls, mm-hmm. uh, which is an indie game. It was kickstarted. It was all hand-drawn. It's a very fascinating game. Um it kind of, in fact, I, I wrote about it on my site because it sought to subvert the sexism in fighting games mm-hmm. by focusing on overly sexualized, uh, disgustingly twisted versions of fetishes. Uh, I'm not 100% sure it succeeded because it still is a lot of boobs, uh, but it was an <laughs> interesting uh, take on it, to say the least. Yeah, well, at least it's a conscious effort. Right. You know, like, oh, here's a cat girl. This cat girl disintegrates into pieces and hits you with her head. This <laughs> is like a bowling ball. Is she still sexy to you? You right. know, I don't know. Yes, a little. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely gives you pause. <laughs> right, yes. When the, when the sexy nun just, her entire body flips inside out, and now she's a monster, and you're like, oh, oh. <laughs> That's that sort of a little Red Riding Hood-esque, right? Yes. Yeah, the... Grandma well, I think it's been a couple of years since we were at PAX, Regina. What isn't it? It was last year. Was it last year? Yeah. No. Yeah, I missed. I missed going this year. I missed I really going missed this year it. too. I actually had to yeah. stop looking at my Twitter. Aww. Yeah. Because there were so many PAX East uh, tweets. I was like, oh, I w- I'm not there with Rhonda like I was last year. So yeah. sad. Really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. What's the next con that you're going to be going to? Uh, WonderCon this weekend. Oh wow. Where is that at? It's in Anaheim, and okay. it's basically like a little baby San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah. I, it doesn't Wonder, WonderCon travel? Uh, I'm not really sure. I know there are so many WonderCons and Comic-Cons. Uh, yeah. I don't really know how that actually works. This will be my first WonderCon. Okay. I think I think that there are other locations I'm trying to remember. I get them all confused now. I mean, I know, like, there's Emerald City Comic-Con, which is, you know, New York City Comic-Con and all those things, but... There, there's tons yeah. of them if you go on the website. So I don't even try to understand. I just go. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> well, you should come up. Rhonda and I are, um, get, are going to be meeting up at Geek Girl Con in Seattle. Yeah, I, I went last year. I'm definitely going again. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, I'm right. excited. Yes, that'll Geek be Girl Con is my favorite con, actually. Right. Yeah. And maybe PAX Prime is right. Like they're they're tied in a way. For yeah. Very- Reason. I agree. Actually, I, I love I love the community at Geek Girl Con because mm-hmm. um, it's it's so small and it's so enthusiastic and engaging. Um, but there's just something about PAX Prime. I'm not exactly sure what it is. I haven't ever been able to put my finger on what it is. It might be because it was the first con I ever went to. But I think, honestly, and this is kind of weird because of some of the controversy, yeah. I think PAX Prime has moved past its creators, I would say. Because, you know, at PAX Prime, I didn't even hear about the drama that was going on. But yeah. for me, PAX Prime it feels very genuine. Yeah, it's exactly. not E3. It's not Comic-Con with these big spectacles and everything. It, they're spectacle, but everybody there is actually a fan. Right. Uh, you know, and it's it's not a place you go and you see, like, pretty 
pretty things. Like, no, this is where you see the down and dirty. These are the gamers, the tabletoppers, yeah. the, the folks who care about this stuff at PAX Prime. And so I think that's why I always really like PAX Prime. Yeah. That Geek Girl Con is like, this is a safe place. Yes. Mm, share absolutely. in what I love with other women who are like me. And I think a lot of us growing up, geek girls that we very few of us got to have other geek women in our lives um well there's so few and far between and for some of us who didn't have the internet to connect with people when we were younger didn't have that ability to make that community so yeah yeah definitely so it's so nice to to feel that sisterhood like ah let's all be best friends I think Geek Girl Con would love the way you just described them. I think so, too. They would be happy. Yeah. yeah. Tell them. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking that. I'm like, oh, we'll make sure to let them know we talked about them on this episode. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I It was my first time going last year. I went with Jenny Powell, and we were just blown away um, by how how good it felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got a great a great vibe and a, a great feeling to it. I've only been one, so it wasn't last year. It was the year before that I went, but... um. It was really enjoyable. I've been to I've been to PAX Prime four times now. I think PAX East once. So, I liked PAX East's vibe as well, though, uh, for being a little smaller. I liked it this year, you know, but last year I didn't actually like it. I don't know why, though. I it might have been the fact that it was snowing, so I can't be honest. <laughs> <laughs> that could be. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> what is this white stuff? <laughs> I don't well, understand. Three years, it has seeped into my soul. Yes. Yeah, just say no to snow. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what happens. It doesn't take very long. Well, the last question I wanted to ask about cons is I saw your uh, floor review from International CES, and I was wondering if you were considering buying that Retron 5. Uh, I really, really was considering it. In fact, I actually have to go harass that guy again. Um, <laughs> I can get one. I was thinking about that the other day, but there's also a part of me um, that I, I I get really into the games that I'm playing. I'm not, you know, one of those people who plays a game, trades it in, plays the game, trades it in. Like a lot of my friends don't have a game library, uh, so I found that I'm pretty unusual and that I like to spend more hours probably than the game even takes playing the game. Mm. Um, for example, I've been playing Far Cry 3 for a year. Oh. Wow. I really like loot. And so I go off into the mountains and I'm just hunting down those little diamond signs. Um, basically, basically trying to 100% it. So anyway, so the thought of, you know, I have a PS4, I have a PS3, I have a 360, I have my PC, I have a NVIDIA Shield, I have a DS, I have a Vita. Am I going to have time for this Retron 5? <laughs> I don't know, but I want to. <laughs> I want it anyway. Yes. <laughs> I went online and, and tried to do some research. It, it's not out yet. Ah, that's why he hasn't gotten back to me. Oh, good. It must be, oh, it's the five, right? So I assume they have other versions of this. I, I don't know, but I just happened, I just noticed someone saying uh, maybe out April 15th. So mm-hmm. there, there was, there happened to be some recent buzz about it. Hmm. Right. I mean, this, you know, for me, if an interview took place more than a week ago, it was in the past. Um, yes. but vaguely remembering, I think he said, oh, this something about it being out. But I was actually, I got back in touch with him, but I need to, I need to talk more because this needs to be a thing in my life. No, no, Sarah, don't do it. No other Sarah, be quiet. We're going to have our Retron 5. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, tell our listeners what, what the Retron 5 is. 
Sure. So it was basically a console that contained, I can't even remember the number, um, let's say more than five other consoles within it. So like Super Nintendo, Nintendo, Sega games, um, just all in one console. And it Mm. had all these different places where you could put the different uh, cartridges. And it had all these different plugs where you could plug in the different controllers. So you could also, for example, play... Uh, a Nintendo game with a Super Nintendo controller, if you wanted. Um, oh, that's cool. You could also change it from um, the the view that you would have seen back in the day to a softened view, where they basically turned all those square pixels into circles, and it kind of ups the quality of the hmm. uh, of the images. Get a little polish. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's basically, for somebody who loves retro games, it's kind of the ultimate machine. Mm. It's a magic box. Yeah, seems sounds like it. I, I flipped out on it. I have very little memory of, of what we actually talked about because I was too busy being very excited. <laughs> probably see in the video. I'm not sure how much we cut, but <laughs> well, at the end. well, I I think at the point you were talking to him, you were almost ready to give him your firstborn to have one. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty. That sounds accurate. Yes. <laughs> He, in fact, I think I remember him saying, like, oh, well, dang, I should have told you it was more money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you don't re- ruin it for us and they end up charging more for it because they're like, oh, Sarah Lowe is so excited about this. This one girl at CES kind yes. of lost her mind about it. Maybe she should charge a higher price point. <laughs> Oh, no. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, since she, uh, Sarah's already mentioned about how uh, she likes to thoroughly ring out her games, mm-hmm. Regina, why don't you ask her some of your uh, uh, dissertation questions about her gaming habits? Sure. Well, let's start with one of the one of the main ones. So, um, so obviously you play RPG games where you create an avatar. Yes. So tell us about your process and your 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 selections and how you make them when you're when you're creating an avatar. Sure. So I've, I've never really thought about it before. Um, I like to make them BAMFs, basically just as beastly strong intimidating women as I can possibly imagine and I want them to be cool and I usually like them to look um diverse that's mm-hmm. one of the biggest things um as as you may have noted in my bio um I yeah. admit it's very important to me to have um especially you know RPGs that's that high fantasy world mm-hmm. to have people of color in games um, I still remember actually walking into my friend playing Mass Effect 2 before I had jumped onto the Mass Effect bandwagon and his character, he's black, his character was black and Jacob um, was sitting next to him and then Miranda was on the other side and I was like, am I watching two black men in outer space in a video <laughs> game? This is amazing. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I know, right? It's so weird to see because we never get to see that. So one of my main goals with my character is always to have her look diverse and, and strong and awesome. Nice. And do you always have female avatars? I do, yes. I don't really enjoy playing as a guy. Even in games that don't let me choose an avatar, Yeah. I mentally make it a girl. <laughs> it's free. Interesting. Jason. Jason is a girl. When Jason talks, I don't know who that voice is. Huh. Um, and I, how do you do that in your mind? Like, what's the process in your mind where you you'd sort of change the gender of the character? There is no process. Oh, okay. It literally, my mind does it for me. In fact, I was playing Outlands where you have a shadow character. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, they're just like a shadow in the shape of a person. And this person happens to have like a warrior's sarong or a kilt or something. Every single time my character would fall down or get hit, 
it would be a man's voice saying, Ugh, and it would startle me every <laughs> single time. <laughs> because to me, this was a female character. Oh, that's fascinating. She's into her story, man. Yeah, Sarah, that's, that's, that's and some... Bettering, I had a witness watching me jump. <laughs> <laughs> I've had moments like that when I played uh, Borderlands 2. I played um, Zero, the assassin. Right. Pretty asexual. And he was pretty asexual, yeah, but he had a male voice. Mm-hmm. And yeah. every now and then he would talk, and I was like, who is that? Who is that talking? <laughs> yeah. And then Chris was playing a, a female avatar, and I would hear his character talk and think it was my character because we were in the uh-huh, same room yeah. with, right. you so, know, sound on. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's not even a process. It's just something my brain decides makes it happy. <laughs> <Does> it. <laughs> Well, what about when you can't, when you can't, like in Borderlands 2 or a game like that, where you can't actually customize your avatar? Do you have anything you do to make the avatar more personal? I do make them purple. You usually get to, you know, purple. in Borderlands 2, you usually get to choose mm-hmm. a palette at least. Yeah. So yeah. anything that I can do, it becomes purple, um, nice. whether that's a gun or a jacket or something. Uh, if I can't do anything physically to them, um, I don't think I really do anything other than making their skill set um, a skill set that I'm comfortable with. I mm-hmm. would Personalized. Mm-hmm. So what kind of skills do you like to play with? Uh, I generally like my characters to be uh, very melee focused, strong attacks. I don't like rogue characters to the point where I don't even enjoy Prince of Persia or playing uh, Batman Arkham City. I, I like to watch mm-hmm. people play those games, but I don't personally enjoy being the kind of character that is that rogue archetype. Um, right. Not a big fan of magic either for my characters. And... Hmm. Um, I like to make sure I have a character who has a lot of help because I, oh yeah, yeah, I, I tend to be the person who's not running in and shooting. I'm snipe. I almost always make my character a sniper too. If that, if it's a gun type of game, even when they're not supposed to be snipers, like Lilith and Maya were snipers for me. Yeah. Oh, okay. I have a lot of help because I'm generally very like solidly wherever I am. And so I'm not running around as much as other people are. Yeah. I did that with, uh, with Gage as well. When I was playing Borderlands mm-hmm. too, um, I made her a sniper essentially. Yeah. Um, I think my Gage is a sniper too, yeah. <laughs> but I don't play with her as much. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of an odd, it's an odd class. It's an odd thing. Mm. Now, do you play online very much? I do now. Yeah, it it became a a newer thing in my life in college. You know, before then, I wasn't even aware that there were other people I could play with that weren't just, you know, somebody who came over to my house. Right. To play in the same room with the console. Yes. And Mm -hmm. so I still actually prefer that. I prefer split screens. I prefer um, people being able to come over and play a multiplayer with me. But me you know, too. I do, I do play a lot of multiplayer. Yeah, now. I was just going to say, that's very much Rhonda's mode of playing as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating when you have a game like Mass Effect 3's multiplayer was so much fun. Why can't I play that with somebody who comes over to my house? Exactly. Mm-hmm. I just, I love playing with uh, other people in the room, the socialization. I just love it. Yeah, because you get to actually yell at each other and see each other's mm-hmm. facial expressions when you die or other awful things happen or good things happen. You get to experience all that in person mm-hmm. yeah yeah we we have uh, i game on online with my friends who don't live in the area that i live in so it sort of pieces that together for us yeah i mean and there's there's benefits to both i mean mm-hmm. perfect world oh yeah borderlands too and right you know or borderlands one where you can play with people who come over and you can play with your friends who don't live anywhere near you right yeah absolutely that's the way it should be done mm-hmm. yes 
Well, I have a guess about your. Did you were, did you have a chance to take the quiz on the site? I did. Yes. All right. I have a guess about your type. What is your guess? My guess is a a, a mastery role play. I see. Actually, I got self. Did you? Damn yes. it. Seriously. Seriously, because you are so good about saying they and there yeah. when you were talking about your avatars me. that I was like, well, there's no self in this at all. Well, if it makes you feel better, I was only 45% self. Well, that's that's still a big chunk. That's, you know, close to half. So, okay, so 45 self. 30 roll and 25 mastery. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pr- that's fairly close. Yeah, on all of them. Yeah, that's why I said, well, you know, I get this in quizzes all the time. Can I ever just be something? <laughs> <laughs> super split up person i'm not even extrovert or introvert i'm on the line <laughs> you're balanced girl that's hard I, to get i guess i just want to be something cool guys <laughs> <laughs> well when you when you play online i, I don't want to leave that too quickly have you how what's your experience what are your experiences like um i'm pretty good about not playing with strangers um so mm-hmm. most Okay. are really great. I would also say that um, it depends on the game, of course. But So I'll play with strangers for Mass Effect 3's multiplayer because almost anyone on the PS3 who is playing Mass Effect 3 is already... A, it, I've actually got theories about this and everything. They're not like a casual person, a ga- casual gamer usually. They're somebody who is in the RPG world who is all about this sort of thing. And I've generally had nothing but positive experiences um, gaming with people there and ran into a ton of other um, female players as well. Um, Elder Scrolls Online, what I'm playing right now, I'd say is the only time I've um, been exposed to an MMO. And the chat runs on the side of my screen the entire time. And the filth that goes on in that chat makes me want to reach through the game and headbutt people. Yeah, and mm. strangle them. Yeah. yeah. Or break but- their fingers, really. <laughs> Yes, right. you never get the type again. You lost your privilege. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get it? Privilege? Anyway. Yes. Um, yeah, so it, it. I have mostly good experiences. The Xbox is the only place where I've ever gotten the uh, the attachments to messages that I would not open. Um, <laughs> Probably so, safe. Yeah, so I would say, you know, I hate to be a Sony fangirl, but I'm a Sony fangirl. And I'm interested to see how that changes with, you know, the popularity of the PS4, if I'm going to see a worse pool of people. Do you think, do you have any theories about why um, the Elder Scrolls chat was so horrible compared to the Mass Effect? Um, Sure. You know, I think Mass Effect was more for nerds and Elder Scrolls, because of the success of Skyrim, I think is more open to the general public. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And I also, you know, MMO players versus RPG players, they they can be very different breeds of people. Um, And I more of the stereotypes about neckbeards come from people who play MMOs. Um, So, you know, I don't know a ton of people who play MMOs. You know, I know Felicia. But, you know, so I, I don't know how true those things are. But we do have to remember that this whole idea of the guy sitting in the fedora with the neckbeard talking down about women and calling them the lady have traditionally also been equated with the people who are playing World of Warcraft and MMOs. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I just noticed patterns like that. I don't know, you know, I don't, don't know if there are any studies on it. Yeah, I wonder if there's some bleed over just in general from the population of players of World of Warcraft. 
Right. I, I, there are, because I've seen in the chat a lot of the people who were causing a lot of ruckus were also saying that World of Warcraft was better. Oh. <laughs> so it was, it was World of Warcraft fanboys who uh, were making a lot of the fuss that I there saw. There should never be World of Warcraft fanboys. That should <laughs> no, not That happen. sounds wrong. Yeah, it really does. Yes. Go, go back to World of Warcraft then. Exactly. <laughs> it's still there. I'm sure there's you know more expansions oh, to come. Yes. My... Uh, my brother and sister, actually two brothers and a sister were all addicted to World of Warcraft, but we didn't grow up together. Mm. I didn't meet two of them until I was 15, and then the other one I didn't meet until I moved out here just a couple years ago. So it's funny to find out. I'd always kept myself away from MMOs because I get very addicted, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was funny to meet them because they're all addicted, and <laughs> only one of them has been able to cut it out of his life so far. Hmm, that's wow. an argument for uh, for genetics. <laughs> I, I really think so many things are genetic based on my family because we didn't, um, you know, we didn't grow up around each other, and seeing the similarities are just hilarious. Interesting, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to tell you that um, I appreciate the um, pink controller that you have for your PS4, your PS3. Yeah. I love it, my bubblegum controller. Yep. <laughs> I've got one. Yeah, and so when you sh- you showed it on the video, I was like, yes, totally, I understand. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome to to be able to be a girl um, who likes nerdy things, but to also be a girl. Um, yeah. You know, because growing up when you're, you like nerdy things, if you want to be taken seriously and you like anime and you like wrestling, uh, you know, I don't know if everybody else felt this way, but I often felt like I had to not be a girl mm-hmm. to be accepted. Yeah. Um, and to be a little tomboyish. And now, you know, as an adult who fully loves herself and accepts herself as who she is, being able to say, I want a bright pink controller and I want a purple skin uh, for my PlayStation 3. Like, I can do that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of a, it, it's a nice mix now of, uh, you know, nerdy and flirty. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I actually filmed a video. I was in a costume shop the other day. I have a lot of nieces and nephews. And there's all these beautiful superhero costumes for little girls, but there are also these beautiful superhero costumes for little girls that are reskinned in purple and pink. Nice. How funny. Yeah, and I'm like, this is awesome because you can be a little girl who likes Spider-Man and likes to be a princess and wants to be Spider-Man princess. <laughs> That's right. I've seen so many pictures of those online now. Yes. Yeah. You know, pink Darth Vader's and, you know, all these things. I think it's just fantastic. And we'll know we have succeeded when little boys are allowed to do the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. Well, when I was in um, Party City just recently, they have a whole wall of Marvel hero dress-up clothes for girls. Mm -hmm. And they've got feathers and bows and sequins and all kinds of stuff on them. Yep. I think it's great. You know, in the one hand, it's like, yes, little girls could just wear the boy costume like a lot of us did. But Mm -hmm. I think it's so awesome that, you know, these companies are recognizing that little girls also want to be superheroes. Right. And they want to do it their way. Exactly. Exactly. Well, my first costume was Kermit the Frog, so. (laughs) Um, I had so many, my my family, we made costumes. Yeah, so did my mom. Yeah, so um, one of my most memorable was a skull warrior. Uh, (laughs) Nice. And um, a retro mummy zombie skater. <laughs> so, I love kids' imaginations, man. Yeah. Looking it's back, fantastic. I embarrassed at every single one of those pictures. Yeah, I had a girl um, come trick or treating this year, um, and she had a uh, she was dressed in like a like a prom dress looking thing, and but she had zombie makeup on and a bullet hole in the in the center of her head, and she must have been twelve. <laughs> 
And I was like, you win. Yes. I'm giving you <laughs> extra candy. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. It was it was fantastic. Well, our last um, gamer type question is: How do you define a gamer? I think a gamer is somebody who plays games. I love it. (laughs) That's it's how it should be. (laughs) Any kind of game, just all the time. Actually, my current addiction to Candy Crush is because of trying to prove this answer to somebody. Oh, what was me? But anyway, um, oh, that's interesting. That is interesting. This whole idea that. I'm better than you because I play 20 hours a game a week and I have a platinum trophy and I'm a real gamer because I know that trivia, like that's all complete and utter nonsense. Anyone who enjoys having a good time, playing some games, however you want to do it, whatever that entails, however long you do it, however short you do it, you are a gamer. Um, And the reason it came up with Candy Crush is I had this friend, she was not a gamer, not a geek, not a nerd, but she would play Candy Crush all the time. And she would say things to me that I used to say to my (laughs) parents when I was playing a game. Like, okay, yeah, sure, just let me beat this one level. Let me just five more turns. Let me just do this. I'm going to go online and look this. Like, she was saying all the things that gamers say about games. Mm -hmm. She's saying them about Candy Crush on her phone. (laughs) And so That's I was like, great. you know, I, it just inspired me. Like, I'm going to write this article, this whole idea of casual games and yes, casual yeah. games. It's it's nonsense. Yeah. People are gamers. Um, I agree. Yeah. Then That's part of the reason why I asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Unfortunately, she gave me the phone and I played a level and I haven't been able to get off of Candy Crush since. But, you know, it was worth the cost. Oh, man. I won't go anywhere near that game. Uh, what level are you at, Sarah? I don't even know. 200 something. Who, who counts? Are me? you kidding? <laughs> I don't know. My phone actually crashed trying to load it while we were having technical difficulties. So I, it's not even on for me to look. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm just I'm at 117 and I just I couldn't get past it. Yeah, I actually I refuse to pay for anything, so I've actually yes. got far just you know luck and skill. Nice, <laughs> that's amazing. That's good. Okay, that's Not, good. you are worthy. Yeah, <laughs> 200. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, that uh, people take that game seriously. Uh, you know, and I I've said that and I've said it before and I'll, I'll probably continue to say it, but I know people who played like Farmville who were, you know, very serious gamers. Yes. That were really into it, had created extra Facebook accounts with, you know, Fanny <laughs> Farmer or whatnot to yeah. give themselves extra bonuses. Oh, I mean, yeah. Candy Crush people will hit up cousins they haven't spoken to in years. <laughs> <laughs> Anything they can do to get that extra turn. Yep. Oh, it's fantastic. Yep. Well, Sarah, we thank you so much for being a guest today on our show. Thank you for having me. This is great. And Nerdy But Flirty is an awesome website. They One of your goals is to create a, a directory of resources. Mm-hmm. And I went there and looked through it. And it's really, really awesome if you guys haven't haven't checked it out yet. And you've got G- Game on Girl there. We really appreciate that. Yes, we do. Actually, I, you know, I'd heard of you guys before I even started at Geek and Sundry. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so when you, you reached out, I was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how did you hear about us? I don't even know. Probably Twitter. Twitter is where my world opened up. In yeah. The okay. yeah. You know, that's where I found all these other women who were just like me. And I was like, uh, and like I said, it was, it was very important to me, um, you know, to, to know and to befriend other women who felt this way. And mm-hmm. I really want us to become more of a community. And so that's partly why I created the directory. Like, here, go talk to these other women. Yeah, that's awesome. That's well, you know, Twitter's the reason Rhonda and I know each other. So yeah, 
It's... Well, besides the um, the website, if our listeners want to find you online, where can they go? Well, speaking of Twitter, <laughs> uh, pretty active on there. I'm Sarah the Rebel. And in fact, uh, anywhere else you're looking for me, I'm Sarah the Rebel. Pinterest, um, just everywhere. Um, and then I also, we have a YouTube channel, Nerdy But Flirty Videos. And that's where we post random things that we feel like posting. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and Nerdy But Flirty, you've got a great staff, like you mentioned earlier, some great writers and um, the directory of resources. We highly recommend you checking it out. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, those girls are great. They're, every day I tell them they're my rock, my moon, my stars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Special shout out to Kelsey, who is my editor and basically keeps the site from sinking into the... <laughs> hey, Kelsey. <laughs> we appreciate you, Kelsey. <laughs> Me and her might get married in Elder Scrolls Online. We, we <laughs> might do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> You've been listening to Game on Girl. You can find all our social media connections on our website, gameongirl.com. I'm the guest host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can find me on Tumblr, Instagram, or email me at Rhonda at GameOnGirl.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, and I'm known as Doc Liz on uh, Twitter, Steam, Words with Friends, Gems with Friends, anywhere you pretty much want to find me, you'll find me with as Doc Liz. Huge thank you to Sarah the Rebel Rodriguez from Geek and Sundry and Nerdy But Flirty for joining us on the show today. What a fantastic interview. Great conversation. Talented, Uh, talented girl. Seriously talented girl. Thoughtful and insightful and talented. And, you know, that's a dangerous combination right there. So if you haven't checked out Nerdy But Flirty, please make sure to visit their site and give them some support. Uh, Great site, great resources, as we mentioned in the show. So definitely check it out. Game on Girl is available on iTunes and Stitcher Streaming and Podcast Lounge for Windows phones. These links, along with references made in the show, can be found on our website, GameOnGirl.com. This podcast is edited by Ryan Broom at Desert Tree Media, and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, game on! Game on!